Welcome back to the Four Horsemen podcast. It's your host, Nick, here with Campy and Dylan, our neighbor to the north, uh, coming off a great week, week two on the horizon, Ball State, the pride of Muncie, Indiana. And really, I had a great week. What about you guys? Yeah, pretty good. You know? um, pretty much celebrated every night because fuck Michigan. And uh, that's, that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, um, incredible weekend. Went out in uh, in Newport for the game. Um, yeah, and it was it was just a, it was a great experience. I'm not typically a guy who watches games in a bar, uh, and I honestly didn't drink too much. Um, I was actually driving that night, so uh, I wanted to keep a you know a keen mind, a sober uh, you know sober mind, so I could pay attention. I have a bunch of notes today, um, but overall, I mean. A plus, very very pleased, very impressed with the team, and just absolutely thrilled to remain undefeated. And now, uh, I was actually talking to my grandpa before uh, we recorded this, and his whole thing was, they're not talking about the Irish win, they're talking about the Michigan loss. And it's great because we put Harbaugh right on the hot seat. This, this could be his swan song here. Year four, hasn't won a quality game. Uh, in four years, and if he loses to Ohio State and Michigan State, uh, we could be seeing some changes over there up in Ann Arbor, uh, which really just makes me very happy. Uh, we all said it before. We knew that the quarterback, uh, Patterson, wasn't a viable option, and uh, his cramps were very ghost-like. I don't think they had <laughs> It was LeBronish. Very. And he tripped over his own shoelaces throwing that one pass, and uh, re-injured himself. We may see McCaffrey as the uh, the new quarterback there, which I uh, wouldn't mind. He was a pretty pretty okay quarterback. He gave me a little uh, little fit in the third and part of the fourth quarter, but uh, you know, nevertheless, uh, we per- persist into the game. Uh, so, a couple of notes on my end here. After Jafar scored the first touchdown, I didn't think it was in doubt. I was stressed, but. Really, the defense played that bend-don't-break uh, style of defense that we know that Notre Dame can play. Not great for your heart or the stress levels, but really, I was overall pleased in that regard. And I just wanted to hear what you guys thought of the overall game and if you had any take, uh, key, key takeaways from it. Uh, yeah, I think uh, when you look at kind of some of the advanced statistics on that one, Michigan's defense last year ranked horrifically uh, for giving up explosive plays. Was one of their weaknesses, and that's exactly what we did to start the game, right? We had those two long balls uh, to Boykin and, you know, thing for the touchdown, um, and we kind of stretched them that way. Um, I remember talking before the game that we're going to have to beat them there at some point because they're going to stack the box, um, and we did just that, you know. Um, other than that, I thought it was a pretty dominant performance. I keep saying five minutes of just Notre Dame because they were a kick return, uh, that was seven points, and then they had another seven off the prevent defense with two minutes left. So the scoreline was a lot closer than the game was. That being said, I was nervous for every second of it. Um, I think when there was a minute 48, I'm not 100% sure, but I think that was the time left in the 2011 game, which we don't talk about. So I was panicking a little bit watching that, thinking history is going to repeat itself. But at the end of the day, I thought we were really good. We handled their defense well. Um, their edge rushers are you know, almost unstoppable, so we did fairly well there. Um, and then our defense stood out really well, like kind of like we thought they would, right? Because they uh, they were turning a lot of guys, and Shea Patterson's not the savior, and that's that's kind of what I took away from it. Totally agree. It uh, 
I think that 140 was the key point in 2011 as well. And, uh, you know, special teams is special teams. Notre Dame, you know something's going to happen on special teams every week, and it proved itself uh, worthy again. Uh, <laughs> I know Steve probably watched it with a keener eye than most, not having to listen to Doug Flutie uh, as an announcer. So I'd love to hear what he thought impartial without the uh, the great announcers that we have. Yeah, no, actually, the the bar I was at, I was at Fastnet Pub in uh, – Newport um they wouldn't or at least they claimed they didn't have the capacity to put audio on so it was just music uh but it was great it was, it, the atmosphere was amazing because it's an Irish bar um I had my hands on top of my head for about three quarters of the game I'm surprised that I don't have like stretch marks on my freaking biceps by this point well my non-existent biceps but that's neither here nor there. Uh, no, I mean it was it was uh, it was just insane to to watch the entire uh, game. We we handled everything pretty well, all things considered. Two sacks allowed. Um, one of those sacks really was on Brandon. Um, yeah, but but he he played an excellent game. Uh, I think he he came out significantly more confident, and it showed. Um, and we we've known, you know, he was at th- what was I think his senior year, thirty six hundred yards passing and like almost forty touchdowns and like less than ten interceptions. Like he has the passing ability. Um, and he really, you know, he we saw him mature. We saw him having some fun. Uh, he showed his his confidence and he showed what he could do at the next level. So uh, all all things considered, uh, it was an absolute blast to to watch. But I I would be remiss if I didn't say that I was quite literally like on the verge of like a cardiac episode for pretty much the entire game start to finish. And I, uh, I've gone to that bar a few times. No surprise to anyone here. That fast enough bar is a good bar to watch the games at. And uh, if they want to advertise with us, we are accepting donations or free bar tabs. Uh, but uh, one thing that I noted uh, listening to Kelly today, uh, he said that door is going to be reinserted as the kickoff uh, specialist. He doesn't want Justin Yoon having to kick the ball through the end zone every single time. Uh, as a football coach um, for four years and the kicking coach uh, to top that, I understand where he's coming from. You don't want Yoon to take a Aaron hit on some big return or, you know, get overuse his, uh, his kicking muscles, uh, all the posterior chain muscles and everything like that. Uh, but what was really interesting is that they only did one live kickoff throughout the entire preseason. So the return was to no surprise to anyone. Uh, I know they're not very happy with it, but uh, it happens. Luckily, it didn't happen at a bigger part, uh, point during the game. But the one thing that I'm really, really upset about is all week we hear Irish wear green, I wore green. Now the whole season I'm going to have to wear the shirt, which I don't mind, but the Irish didn't wear green jerseys. Hmm. It's a green out. <laughs> that, that drove me nuts too, especially considering a couple of years ago it was the Notre Dame USC. That was like when they first brought them out, right? And that was early on in the season. I think that was like week three or four, uh, back in like 06 Bush push game. So mm-hmm. I thought, you know, it, it doesn't have to be the end of the year in order to wear the Kelly Green. I uh, was was thrilled to see it. Was a little let down. So you're spot on there, bud. I wasn't surprised at all. Um, Kelly seems to really not like doing anything other than the blue uh, with the Shamrock series aside which I don't get because we've worn green a lot in our history, right? Pretty much through Dan Devine's tenure, it was green, right? Uh, but one thing I should say, um, we really got to give Brian Kelly a lot of credit for that game. He outcoached Jim Harbaugh 
through and through. And look, a lot of our fans have been giving him a lot of shit lately uh, for not coming through in big games. But rivalry games, right? Kelly's got a winning record in against USC and Michigan, uh, combined at least. Um, night games at South Bend, we don't lose. So we got to give Kelly credit there. Everyone was talking about Michigan, Michigan, Michigan. He got out-coached. Arbaugh got out-coached. And, uh, yeah, I think it's a real credit to, to Kelly. So it's good that he's seeing bounce back. Um, hopefully two years in a row now from the four and eight season, but you know, we'll see how it goes. I mean, yeah, I agree with you completely. He seemed more composed on the sideline, especially during some of those moments where the other Kelly wouldn't have been as composed, uh, where the red face would come out. I think there was just one part of the game where he yelled at the ref, but all coaches do that. So I, I loved everything that he did. I think the coordinators really did well, uh, the great game plan was awesome. And the fact that uh, Don Brown came out and said he didn't expect Brandon Wimbush to run as much as he did. It's just a testament to our offense that Brandon can make plays with his feet. Uh, and he made those high percentage throws, made the grown man throws uh, that he needed to make. The, the third and 18 converting on that was insane. And Brandon is stepping up to be the leader that we knew he was going to be. Yeah. Um, and as as much as BK deserves a lot of credit, and and as I mentioned in our first podcast, you know uh, he's always been a good coach. But in order for this team to take it to the next level, uh, you know, think playoffs, he has to be a great coach, and he he coached great. Uh, I, I'd like to see that consistency on on his end going forward, and I'd like to see that you know reverberate throughout the entire team, the entire program, which I think uh, obviously we're in a great position to do, um, you know, ESPN came out with some percentages today in order to make the, uh, the, the final four and ND has the fourth highest, you know, we're, we're 53%. So that's great news as of now. Um, you know, at least in the polls we're ranked eighth and we can get to that a little bit later, but it shows that, you know, the new, the media counts us out, but like the actual talking heads kind of know that we are legit, um, you know, behind the scenes in college football, but most importantly, I think um, I forget the name of our our new offensive line coach since uh, our older one uh, who had developed. You know, Quentin Nelson, Michael McGlinchey, he he's uh, over with the Bears now. Uh, but credit to our offensive line coach, first year, uh, only two sacks against an incredibly, incredibly ferocious front seven. Uh, Alex Barr, he played a astounding game. I was looking through the, the highlights and he had a couple of blocks mainly on the, the first Jafar Armstrong touchdown to really spring, uh, you know, that game wide open and, and bust some holes open for, uh, for the run game. Although we weren't great at running, we were effective enough when it counted. Uh, and then also Clark Lee, I mean, defense, man, incredible. It, it truly was. Um, we, we were getting after him and you, you think, uh, and, and, Nick, if you want to touch on this, they in the off season, uh, you know, Coach Kelly was talking about chaos and controlling the chaos, controlling the situation, blocking out the crowd noise. Um, what they have four red zone appearances, and they came up with a touchdown with one. Yeah, M- Michigan did. Just one was a, a botched kick. And just going off of that, you saw the chaos that happened where it was there was the batch field role that they had, which could have been, you know, points, but it was really, they drove, they drove, they drove, and the defense came up knocking them out of field goal range one time. Uh, and 
they just had fun. Oh my goodness, I'm sorry about that, everyone. Uh, they just had fun. It's one of those things where you they were out there, they were celebrating after their tackles. They they didn't play tight. The the Notre Dame teams in the past played tight. They didn't play like the Miami last year with the turnover chain, or even you know this year you're looking at some other teams who are just going out there and not caring, not just playing football. That's what they all did. They're from high school. They're just kids playing football. And if they can't have fun and they're all so fucking uptight the whole time, we're not going to have a good season. They're playing loose and playing fun. It's going to be different. And you could see that on the field. They really reminded me of um, going back on how you're talking about the red zone, right? They had one touchdown and four attempts. That reminds me of the 2012 defense, right? Where it was just stranglehold. Anytime you got into the red zone, it was field goals, field goals. You know, kickers have a hard time at Notre Dame. It's a really odd stat, but they struggle there. We saw uh, a fumble that we, you know, we stopped. We saved three points there. It was it was really impressive um, to see them come through in the big moments. Um, and that's really what I think was the difference throughout the game was those big moments, right? I mean, yeah, I would I would tend to agree where the bend don't break is going to give us heart attacks, but it shows that the the guys are playing for each other and they're not playing for that individual uh, stat line. And it's it's kind of nice to see. I, it did harken back to 2012 a little bit, and uh, really just having Quinn, who was the coach we were thinking of, I really take over for Heistand uh, or Heistand. I'm sorry. Uh, he shows that he can be that viable option as an offensive line coach. And they're not having to learn a new system. They're learning the same blocking technique. When they go through their steps, it's the same step. It's the same language. And keeping the same verbiage is huge. If you have to change verbiage every year, uh, it just doesn't make any sense. Same thing on the defense, right, with uh, Clark Lee taking over. Yeah, and it's huge seeing that you can hire from within. I think with uh, – it was either part of my take or one of those other podcasts – uh, they were talking about how Herm Edwards had full control as like the CEO of Arizona State, and in the first week he fired the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator, and they hired from like external sources. Arizona State's not going to be good this year. We all know that, but uh, yeah, they're like a five and seven team at best. And it's just one of those things. If you can keep people within, it's really going to help. And just going off of that, you you're seeing the players who need to play really step up and really become the stars that we need them to be. So I, I think we all, all know what happened. Joe actually picked the score correctly, 24-17, with a field goal by Yoon. Uh, I would have been correct, by the way, had uh, Tavon Coney picked up the sack fumble at the end of the game and ran that all the way in. So credit to me. I'm, I was actually correct. Joe was wrong. Well, whatever you say, Steve. Uh, we'll never <laughs> uh, discredit you for that one. But – uh. You know, off of that, I just really want to go through. Two of you are hockey fans, or Joe might be, um, and they do three stars of a game. So uh, to one-up them, we're going to do four because we're the four horsemen. Uh, so, Dylan, who are your four horsemen of the game? Well, um, I think you got to start off with Brandon Wimbush. He's my first star. Um, just absolutely beautiful performance. Um, I was looking at some of the, the, the metrics afterwards. Um, his total QBR, which is defense adjusted, was in the 80s. He was top 25 this week, which is impressive. Um, I thought he played really well. He extended drives. It was those it, those two huge passes, right, that kind of swung the game our way offensively. Um, and he, he did what he had to do. So credit to him. I think he maybe uh, he kind of got a little stagnant in the third quarter, but when it mattered, Brandon came through, so you got to give him all the credit in the world, and I've been critical of him back there. So good for him. 
Second star is uh, your guy, P-Wagon. I thought he was phenomenal was uh, Gilman. Our safety was just fantastic. He blocked. Uh, he broke up a pass in the end zone against a big tight end. Uh, he made a huge tackle in the game. I thought he was just fantastic and all over the place. So that was your uh, player to watch this year that I got to give you credit for. Um, three, I'm going with Kareem. Uh, he was fifth in the country with sacks. He got two of them. Uh, big timely ones. I think he forced the fumble. Him and Tiller kind of got in there. Mm-hmm. Um, without that front seven, right, that game could have gone really differently. And lastly, I got to go with Terry Gillery or Jerry Tillery. Um, fantastic. I thought his leadership was really good. Uh, led the line. Um, and that huge play at the end, right? So, yeah, those are my four guys. Really impressed with Notre Dame this week. Um, I know we're going to talk Michigan a lot, but they're probably the toughest team we're going to play all year. You know, VT at Virginia Tech will be up there, and USC is always good. But Michigan's a really tough team. They got first-round draft picks all over the place. And I think for our boys to come into this game not being spoken of, not being talked about in the draft perspective at all, and to kind of just outplay Michigan, you know, flat-out outplay them for four quarters, uh, was really impressive. So those are my four guys. Steve, what about you? Yeah, I'm going to obviously look similar because, you know, these these guys obviously just just came out and played on a different level um, in, in no particular order, or maybe I'll go from worst to best. Uh, so my fourth star or fourth horseman, um, I'm going to go with Jafar Armstrong. Didn't have, uh, in terms of stats, uh, he, he didn't blow anybody away. Uh, but when he hit the open field, um, you know, when, when the line was able to open up some spots for him, he made guys miss and he showed a lot of, uh, yeah, you know, basically a lot of agility out in the open field. And it looks like in the future when we're not playing a top five defense, um, you know, when we're playing Stanford, when we're playing, uh, on the road in, in Virginia tech and, and we're playing all these, you know, other difficult programs. I think that he has the the speed and the agility to be a difference maker. So he showed some flashes of brilliance, obviously with the two touchdowns. Uh, I'm excited to see, you know, how he's going to perform in the future. Uh, the number three, three horsemen, three star, however you want to say it. Um, I'm going to continue on with my offensive lineman love here. Left guard, Alex bars. Uh, is he a red shirt junior? I believe so. I haven't checked the roster. I'm almost certain he is. So he'll probably, uh, if he uh, he's draft eligible uh, after this year, but he might stay stick around. Most uh, offensive linemen do stay for their entire tenure. Um, I mean, I'm not going to say he's the next Quentin Nelson, but geez, I mean, you talk about having big shoes to fill, and, and against a ferocious front seven, I was incredibly impressed. And I, I think um, you know he he certainly helped out. Uh, you know, Liam, Liam Eichenberg on, on the left side, uh, who struggled from time to time, but overall, um, you know, got to give the, the O-line love, especially bars. Um, then obviously you got to go with Wimbush. I saw some stats here, uh, in all of 2017 with that top five defense against Michigan for, with all quarterbacks that had over 10, uh, passing attempts, only one of them had over a 50% completion percentage and that was Trace McSorley in a 41 to 10 blowout. So, and, and McSorley was uh, 17 of 26, which is 65%. So Wimbush was 12 of 22, 54%. Yeah. Only, only threw for 170. Uh, he also rushed for 59. So over 200 yards of offense. Uh, and he, 
he made the big plays when they counted the 18 uh third and 18 run where he, he picked up about roughly 22 strong finish through like two three tacklers um he, he just made a count he, he went out there and he balled out and i think uh he, most impressively he was connecting on the short passes where last year uh if his confidence was shaken i don't think he would have so big ups to Wimbush who i've been incredibly critical of um you know, to the point where I actually thought that you know book being the starter was a more viable option, but kid came out and balled out. So uh, big props to him. And then finally, obviously, you have to go with Khalid Kareem. Uh, seven tackles, two assist tackles, two sacks, uh, one forced fumble, and two and a half tackles for loss. So he was just penetrating all night long, uh, unlike me. And <laughs> I mean, the, he he was just ferocious, and that's why he was what the Benaric Player of the Week. Yeah. Um, yeah so, gotta get if if that's any indication of what's to come, I think the front seven is going to be unbelievable, and I'm really excited to see how this team plays. So my mine kind of reflected what all of you have said. It makes sense. We all watched the same game. It wasn't different for different people. Uh, but my fourth star was Justin Yoon hammering the ball like it owed him money it he abused the ball like the field goal he had he had range from at least 55 um he's my favorite kicker uh in recent memory and i was at the pinstripe bowl where brinza kicked five field goals to be ruckers uh my third horseman was ian book probably had the best statistical night out of everyone uh he played two plays and they scored on both those plays. So uh, that's 100% scoring uh, ratio for advanced statistics there. Uh, Dylan, write that one down. Right. Uh, my third one, or second one, however math works, uh, was Gilman. He's my man rocket of the season. He is a stud. He comes up from the safety position and just hammers individuals. Uh, if I could coach an individual like that, I would have been the happiest coach ever. Uh, and he's just going to play, and he's going to ball out, and he's he's free from that suspension. I love him. Uh, he's my new man crush. He reminds me of Zivikowski. Uh So I, I really do like him. And my final one was Jafar Armstrong. Uh, really, the two touchdowns, he scored 14 of the 24 points. Uh, so I, I think he, as a unproven player, uh, he made the plays he had to play. He didn't blow anyone out of the water on the stat sheet. Uh, college fantasy football, he scored 24.78 points, uh, helped me win my college fantasy. Uh, and, you know, I'm just a big Jafar and Gilman fan, and that's probably going to reflect every time they win. Uh, if they do well, we're going to do well. And uh, I would like to just put one more um, ancillary shout-out to uh, to Jalen Elliott, who I, I do believe, in fact, killed a man. The, the tight end, right? Yeah. That, <laughs> He crushed him. That was that, that pop. Man. I, I when I heard that replay, I honestly thought that guy. Like, I don't think the guy's woken up yet. It was a three hundred pound man who fell right on the spot. It it was bad. We all witnessed a murder. But sure someone uh, pissed him for PEDs after that. <laughs> uh, and we forgot to mention, uh, just kind of an honorable mention off of that, uh, Dylan's neighbor, the uh, Canadian, uh, Playpool came up with two huge catches uh from the highlights uh he's just going to be a very viable uh almost tyler eifert type option but who's faster and who can really make those more 
receiving type of plays. Uh, Eifert was always good to catch a ball right over the middle, and Claypool will be that person. And you can even know Fink or Finky with his Moss catch, but everyone knows who that is. And don't that could be the running gag is um, Claypool and me were just childhood neighbors because that's how small Canada is. I'm under the impression that everyone in Canada lives within a certain area because polar bears are outside. I've never been to Canada. Yeah, that's that's accurate. Good. I'm I'm glad you're surrounded by maple trees, right? Um. Yeah, and Tim Hortons. There's one for every person in Canada. Sorry. <laughs> so is that a lot of Tim Hortons, or is that just not that many people? There's five people who live in Canada. Oh, okay. Oh. I suppose he answered that one for me. <laughs> Again, Steve, uh, just so everyone knows, Dylan is my only Canadian friend. Same. I and, can I can confidently say that. Which is weird because you guys are Northeasterners, so I figured you would have known a few Canadians. Actually, the, We're from, uh, well, there is a Canadian kid I know at work uh, who is a couple cubes down. He's in a different department, but he's a uh, Toronto Maple Leafs fan. So I don't like him very much, especially after John Tavares signed with them. Go Bruins. That'll be for our, our next uh, venture into podcasting. Uh, just going off of that, uh, we had our opponents. I uh, put on Twitter uh, the other eleven opponents were nine and two uh, this weekend. One of them being the Vatek Florida State game. And uh, really, with that, I'm just going to do a quick rundown of the scores and who they played and who they have uh, week two. Feel free to jump in if you have any quick comments. Uh, this will be a quick hitter here. Uh, Ball State, week two, the Cardinals, Muncie, Indiana, beat the powerhouse Central Connecticut Blue Devils 42 to 6. That's my comment. No, no comment. All right. Vanderbilt, 35 7 win over Middle Tennessee State, another just powerhouse. They played Nevada up uh, the Wolfpack this week. Nerds. Yeah, I, I think we'll beat them by 52 for those comments they made. Oh, yeah, Derek Mason, coming for you. Uh, Wake Forest, 23-17 squeaker over uh, Tulane. Uh, they have Towson. Again, these teams are just playing uh, the strongest opponents uh, that we, they can find. I'm really just impressed with their, their scheduling. But uh, Tulane taking Wake Forest to overtime was an incredible thing to watch. Uh, the Demon Deacons... This year for us was the Deacons um, at Wake Forest. That was supposed to be a tough one, so I wasn't impressed with them. However, I did have a parlay on them to cover, so seeing Tulane miss uh, their chance there in the overtime and then Wake Forest go for six instead of the field goal saved my day. It saved me 30 bucks. So, you know, thank God for the Wake Forest. Yeah. um, I've seen they've actually lost a couple guys to injury from that game against Tulane, so... Uh, I still think it's actually a point of concern for the schedule, but we'll reassess as we get closer. No comment at this time. Go Irish. Uh, Stanford, 31-10 win over San Diego State. They have USC this week, which I was surprised about. I kind of like that uh, top 25 matchup week two. Uh, I think they're going to beat the shit out of each other. Yeah, um, I watched that game because, again, I'm a gambler and I had money on it. (laughs) Um, Thankfully, Stanford covered. Um, but Stanford did not look good for about a half. It was really struggling to move the ball. They're kind of getting outplayed by Utah State, was it? Or that right? Um, so I, I wasn't impressed. I mean, they pulled through in the end. Stanford should beat those teams, but Stanford's a lot like us, where they kind of play down to garbage. You know, they're very Notre Dame esque. Uh, hmm. That's going to be a big game. So 
I'm, really, I'm going to watch this uh, Cardinal Trojan game because I don't know what's going to happen. There. Um, I don't know who to cheer for either. I mean, I generally like Stanford, but the idea of a huge USC Notre Dame game at the end of the year excites me. So yeah, um, I I saw you know a few clips out there of uh, the you know, the running back just tearing up the uh, the front seven. So that's actually one of those games where I'm just kind of backtracking a little bit, or at least a callback. Um, excited to see Jafar Armstrong in this offensive line, what they can do against Stanford, because there was a, a few series in general, I think two or three of them, where Stanford did not look good at all against the run. They looked like they couldn't defend anything. I think like a, the average rushing yards per attempt on like a few different different series, not an official statistic, but it looked like legitimately 12 and a half, 13 yards. I know we'll get into this a little more come Stanford week, but the home team seems to always kind of win that one. And I think it's always a close game with Stanford. I think it's just the way we play each other. I think this is the year to kind of to kind of beat them good, uh, to kind of show that we're, we're the real deal. So we'll keep an eye on that too. Awesome. Uh, Vatek, of course, put a beating on Florida State, 24-3. to uh, They play William & Mary, the, the tribe. Uh, problematic name, not a problematic team. Hmm. But we'll, we'll get yeah. back to that at the end of this. Um, I think we all have something to say about Florida State. Uh, Pitt, 33-7 win over my Albany Great Danes. They play Penn State. That's another matchup where I'm, I would like to see Pitt pull it out. Uh, just to give up. Yeah. That's a rivalry game, and Pitt plays Penn State tough. Um, I think two years ago they beat them. Um, so that's if there's any gamblers out there, if that line's high, I might tell you to go for Pitt. So, uh, yeah, I'll keep a post one on that. Yeah, give give credit where credit's due. Pitt always plays us difficult. They always play their rivals difficult. So hopefully they can make some magic happen. Uh, Navy loses to Hawaii 41-59 or 59-41. Uh, they play Memphis. Navy's one of those teams that's always stubborn. Uh, they'll be playing out on the West Coast when we get to them. Uh, uh, Northwestern, 31-27 win over Purdue. They played Duke. Yeah, yeah. Purdue. Northwestern's supposed to be a sneaky good team this year. I'm kind of watching out for them, too. I had them. I posted my top 25 today before I looked at any of the polls, and I had them, I think, 28, 29, like just on the cusp of getting in. Um, yeah, I didn't get to watch the game fully. I saw some highlights, but, uh, yeah, we should watch out for that game as well. And Florida State, they now play Samford with an M. Forced Sex University. Ooh. Ooh. Mm. Syracuse beat Western Michigan 55-42. They play Widener. And be- before I go on to USC, who beat UNLV 43-21, everyone gives us shit, Notre Dame shit, for the schedule that we have. And, oh, you don't play anyone. Who the fuck is Wagner and Samford? It, it just absolutely, and this is me kind of going off on a tangent here, but they're playing these FCS bullshit schools. I mean, we get Ball State, but still, it's it's one of those things where they're not playing real viable schools. There's a incarnate word played New New Mexico. Incarnate word. It's an online university. I could play quarterback for incarnate word. I'm five five. It's just ridiculous that you're letting these lesser Division two schools come in, cash a paycheck, maybe win, 
but the, the ECU game lost to North Carolina a and Shout out ECU Pirates. But like at the same time, it, it just ten years ago how they feel about that. It's it's just ridiculous. I get Appalachian State's a good team. These other teams do better. That's all I have on that. I'm embarrassment, and I think it's a testament to Notre Dame. And to give credit to UCLA and USC, where we're the three programs who've never played an FCS team. Um, and I think that earns a lot of respect. Um, that's pretty high. That speed. is a stat from the clouds. I love it. Wow. Yeah. Um, you're two for two with blowing my mind on just different <laughs> things each week, Dylan. Every week, and I'm going to get you. That's wild. And uh, now I can see how you were able to like start thinking your way into the mathematics of us making the playoff last year. I'm actually seeing a beautiful mind in front of me. This is amazing. How do you like Ben Apples? Same yeah, I was going to say I'm like, uh, like the guy in Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> that was a different movie. All right. Um, so really, uh, we have, you know, Vatech Florida State, which was our marquee matchup that we wanted to talk about. Florida State does not look good. And Virginia Tech even struggled with DeAndre Francois uh, running the ball. So... I'm I'm impressed with Virginia Tech. They have that uh, that safety, that white safety who had two picks. Uh, but really, I, I'm cautiously optimistic. As I said last night, uh, was wondering if you two had any thoughts on that game. Yeah, I, I agree with you there, Pewig. And I'm sorry to cut you off. <laughs> um, I I, I kind of elaborated on Twitter what I thought about it. I think Virginia Tech's had a really good defense. I was really impressed with them, although they weren't playing a good Florida State team. Um, so you know, kind of keep that with a grain of salt. Um, but do not pass the ball in the flat. Do not do any screens and be careful of turnovers because that's what I saw from the game. Really dangerous Virginia Tech defense. But again, they only scored 24 against Florida State. Florida State's defense did not look overly great. Um, we scored 24 against Michigan. You know what I mean? So I agree with you. Cautiously optimistic. That's a game we should win. Although that is a game like Miami where the moment can get to you. And next thing you know, you're kind of down 40. So, you know, it's one to be careful for, but on paper, when I'm looking at those two teams, I like Notre Dame, but, you know, keep an eye on Virginia Tech this year. They're going to be a very strong uh, ACC title. I, I didn't catch any of it, unfortunately. So, no comment. Yeah. 24-3, Will and Taggart should have stayed at USF. Uh, so, moving on from there, the top 25 was released today. We could do the AP top 25. Uh, the Amway coaches poll is a multi-level marketing scheme. Uh, so, really, ND moved up to eight in both of those polls. Uh, and I think Steve has the top 25. Just do a quick rundown, 25 down to one. As yeah. Tuesday, 9.55 p.m. Yep. Uh, so, 25, Florida. 24, uh, South Carolina. There's a lot of buzz about them. We'll see if they're for real. Uh, they're playing Georgia this week, right? I believe so, yeah. Yep. Uh, 23, Oregon, team of the past. Um, 22, Michigan after the uh, – 22, Miami after the brutal loss. 21, Michigan. Ha. Huh. Uh, number 20, Boise State. Well, you can't uh, defending national champion UCF. Uh, 18, Mississippi State, 17, USC, screw you. Number 16, TCU. Number 15, Michigan State. I actually have some worry about them, not going to lie. Not not that we play them, but I think they – just, I think, you're just worried about Michigan State in general. <laughs> I think Michigan. I think Lurky uh, is actually developing pretty well, and this might be one of those teams that if they can go eleven and one and win the 
you know, the Big Ten, that might be one of those teams that bump us out if we have one loss. So let's uh, let's win out, shall we? Um, number fourteen, West Virginia Country Roads. They actually whooped a opened up a can of whoop ass. They played very well. Um, number thirteen, Penn State. 12, Virginia Tech. We've obviously had our words about them. Uh, number 11, LSU. One hell of a performance. It looks like they bounced back from the embarrassing loss that we handed them. Ha. Huh. <laughs> number 10, Stanford. Um, we, we we can't l- overlook that game. I know it's at home. I know uh, it's prob- what's, it's going to be a night game or at least like a 6 p.m. game, right? Probably, yeah. yeah I Probably. mean, sure they're st- it's still Stanford. They still recruit well. Uh, still great coaching. Not going to lie. I'm, I'm quite nervous about that game and I'll be a nervous wreck just like I was for this one. Uh, number nine, Washington turns out, you know, they were, uh, they're good, but not good enough to compete with, uh, an SEC team where, you know, they was, they lost by less than a touchdown, but still didn't have what it took to, uh, to dig deep and win there. Uh, us, obviously Notre Dame coming in at, at eight. Auburn, strong stuff. They move up two spots to number seven. Oklahoma, Kyler Murray, dynamic. He's number, uh, they're located at number six. Number five, Wisconsin. I don't think they're particularly good, to be frank, but I think that their schedule kind of benefits them. Um, number four, Ohio State, who was 40-point favorites, didn't have a head coach and somehow still absolutely blew the doors off their competition and covered the spread. For all you gamblers. Uh, number three, Georgia. Screw you, Joey, if you're listening. Number two, Clemson. And obviously, Bama at one. Uh, looks like Tua is the future. Yeah, so I have a lot of thoughts about that. I Again, I tweeted a top 25 last night based on a bunch of different things I was looking at. Um, the problem with this is that it's based on their preseason poll. And the preseason poll is their own way of doing it. So when you see Washington fall as far as nine, that's ridiculous. You know, you lost the game. Get out get out of the top 10. Um, so I kind of looked at a bunch of different things there. I had Miami outside the top 25. After that performance, I can't believe they're still in the top 25. Um, I had Michigan at 22. I thought that was pretty fair. Um, I thought I had Notre Dame at six because we looked really good and our efficiency score was quite high. Um, I put LSU in the top 10. I mean, they were dominant. Uh and then Michigan State and Penn State are too high. They both played bad teams and barely won. Um, you know, I know it's something to get kind of twisted on in first in, in the week one, but you know, there's there's some issues with the poll here. I thought Oklahoma should be the third team right now in the country. They may have had the performance of the week. I think they scored seventy points or something just ridiculous. Um, so did Ohio State, but they gave up. I think over 20 to Oregon. I think it was 73-31 for Ohio State, or at least like some close to that. Right. So, yeah, I mean, overall, they probably got the 25 teams right. Um, but, yeah, Miami shouldn't be there. Washington should be lower. Um, and then I have the Irish at six. Um, it could be a little bit of bias, but I was looking at this, the efficiency stats. I mean, you take into account the, the quality of opponents. Um, and it was pretty dominant. You know, I know the scoreline was closer than it seemed, but – uh, watch out for this Notre Dame team. Yeah, and USC in a win drops two spots from 15 to 17, uh, which is interesting uh, how the, the people voted, the, the AP 
uh, writers voted. Um, so that's really what I noticed. And Ohio State jumping Wisconsin is also kind of uh, of note. But really, you know, you can't make a judgment off of week two. We have week or week one. Week two is right on the horizon. Uh, I start taking credence to this around week five, if that. And uh, five doesn't really matter. I'm looking at eight probably would be my ideal these teams are for real. These teams aren't. That's when you start really seeing the cream rise to the top. But uh, other than that, I know, Dylan, you had a question uh, in regards to just looking at the overall season and when we get into the college football playoff uh, discussion. Uh, I got a go- I got a lot of responses on it, too. Um, I don't know if I had made it clear enough. It was kind of under the assumption that everything stays the same in these two hypothetical scenarios. If, considering, let's say we lost to Virginia Tech, went 11-1, and one, and assuming that would be good enough to get into the playoff, because I think most people would agree 11-1 and one Notre Dame kind of gets in, uh, unless you get some really odd scenarios. Assuming that's true, right, it's a big assumption, but this was the hypothetical, would losing at USC, going in 11-0 and, and losing that one, would that drop us out of the theoretical playoff? Because my argument is if the strength of schedule is the same, the timing of the loss shouldn't matter. But you brought up a good point about, you know, a Pac-12 champion, ACC champion. Those were different variables uh, that my hypothetical wasn't really considering. It was if it had everything, it just stayed the same. Um, but that's just, it's more of a, a college football committee question is, are they going to value uh, an early loss more so than a late loss? Because um, you see that with the AP polls. I remember, not that this is the way it always goes, but if you've ever played any of those college football video games, mm-hmm. you play a ranked team for 11 weeks, beat them. And then the other team can play no ranked teams until the last week, beat a ranked team, and then they jump you in the polls. I mean, it's the way the video games had worked. But the AP kind of has that mentality, right, where it's based on last week's poll. It's a week-to-week poll. The committee is better than that, but I was wondering if, let's say, we're going into Southern Cal 11-0 with number one or number two team in the country and we lose that game. How far do we fall? Because if, let's say, we were 11-1, and beat Southern Cal but lost to Virginia Tech, I think we get in. So would we still get in if that loss was at the end of the year? Was kind of my question, and hopefully you guys would discuss on it. Well, I think if you put it in a vacuum, like what you just mentioned, a 11-1 Irish team losing to USC to the presumed Virginia Tech ACC champion, then they do get in. That was my phone. Uh, but on <laughs> the other way, Clemson's not losing the ACC. We we know that. Uh, so, I mean, as of right now, I think Clemson is a lock uh, for one of those top four spots. So if you look at USC, ND beating them, the Pac-12 champion becoming USC uh, because they're the best team in the Pac-12 right now, do, I, I guess you can make a case for them to get in. But at the same time, you have to weigh what's happening over in the ACC. So I would value probably that early season loss a little bit more. Uh, it's definitely more important to win that Virginia Tech game because we don't know what could happen with uh, you know Kelly Bryant and the Tigers there. Uh, ideally, 12-0 would be the way to go. Uh, but it's hard to answer that question not thinking about the conference title games. Right, which is why my hypothetical is a little bit you know, unrealistic in this case because you don't know how all the other teams are going to do. Um, I mean, I agree with you. Let's just go with 12-0. But um, I wonder if one day we'll see that with the committee and how they react to a late loss or if that's more punishable than an early loss. 
The only good thing we have going for us is Condoleezza Rice went to MD and she's an MD supporter there. Uh, so thank you, Condi. If you listen to this, Condoleezza, I will vote for you when you run for president. Steve? Yeah, I guess in a vacuum, just knowing the way that the AP votes were out because they're annoying. Um, college football playoff, they've actually you know been shown to think a little bit differently, at least from the mainstream, uh, still don't agree with every decision they've made over the years. Um, but all things considered, I think the main factors are, does USC have 10 wins if we lose to them in this scenario? If they're a 10-win team or better? And also, what's the point spread on that game? You know, Do we, do we go 11-0? And may, let's say hypothetically USC is uh, eleven and one. They finish the season after beating us, and do they beat us like thirty-one fourteen, or is it like a twenty-seven twenty-four game? All right. So, so point ask? spread and and also um, ten wins plus for USC is is going to be the differentiator. In uh, at least in my mind, I think that you know let's say again hypothetical USC finishes ten and two. Um, we finish 11 and one, they, they beat us by three. And if they go to the PAC 12 title game, there's definitely a case to be made that, you know, timing of the loss shouldn't matter here. You 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 played 11 fantastic weeks, but you really played 12 great weeks against, uh, you know, a really tough schedule. And uh, one of them, he came up just short. So that's, that's uh, in, in the hypothetical. That's how I would see it. I think differently than most of the world, though, and obviously I have an extreme bias. So, all right. Well, what if I kind of pitch this to both of you guys now? So we'll say that USC and uh, Virginia Tech have nearly identical seasons. So they both finish nine and three. Uh, the difference is the loss, though, where one beats Notre Dame, one loses Notre Dame. Neither of them are champion of their division, but under assumption one, if we lose to Virginia Tech and beat USC, that theoretically gets us in the playoff. Let's just take that as a guarantee. Obviously, that's not true. So many other factors, but let's just pretend. Right, so a 9-3 and three loss to Virginia Tech on the road, we'll say it's a pick em game, um, and you lose by four or whatever, and that gets you in. Would the exact same scenario against USC still get you in? Going in 11-0, it's a pick em game, you lose by four, USC finishes 9-3. and three. It's identical situations. It's just the timing of the loss. Yeah, and that's the thing is I think with a nine-win USC team, I think we're out. I think if it's ten wins, it's a whole different ball game. But do you think uh, the game- I would agree with that? Um, again, it's going to depend on how the voters think, uh, how the committee sits down. Uh, four four-point loss on the road at USC. Uh, four-point loss at Virginia Tech. You can weigh those very evenly almost, but uh, it's really going to be that vacuum. You're going to see the Alabama fans and uh, really the other college fan bases jockey for those positions. Uh, and I, tongue-in-cheek, made a joke about Condoleezza Rice being in an ND grab, but it really is going to matter where you are coming from. I think Tyrone Willingham might also be on the committee if he's not coaching anymore. So I don't know how we feel about that, if he's going to have to recuse himself uh, from voting but um, I could be lying about Tyrone as well. And, and there's the whole Notre Dame bias, so to speak, right, where I remember in 2015 uh, with, with Deshaun's Kaiser going into the Stanford game, we were 10-1, and 
And had we won that game, we probably didn't deserve to get an over Oklahoma who, would, who had beaten Oklahoma State. But the, the, the idea and the talk was, well, there's no way the committee's not going to put Notre Dame in. Just the amount of money it's going to make, the amount of ratings it's going to get. So that's kind of another factor you throw into it too, right? Um, is there a Notre Dame kind of bias? Like there was like the BCS bias, right? Where Notre Dame kind of gets a little bit of special treatment there. Because, um, you know, that, that is a fair point. You know, can you keep an 11-1 Notre Dame team who is the biggest brand in the sport out of the playoff? You know, there is there is a business side to this too. Do you want to sell tickets? It's It comes down to that. If you want people to stay at home on December 29th and watch the college football playoff going up against week 17 in the NFL, which isn't going to matter by that point, uh, the Steelers will be undefeated at that time, uh, Steve. And, you know, it's – do you want to sell tickets? Do you want the fans to watch? This first game, Michigan-Notre Dame, was the highest-rated NBC game since the Bush Bush. That's 13 wow. years. So, like, we – the fan – even think about 2012 with the U.S. Uh, – with, with Stanford, uh, at, you know, uh, at Notre Dame. That was a, an unbelievable game, too. And to think that this beat that is, is pretty crazy. It's just one of those things where people give everyone shit for – Notre Dame being one of the higher ranked or most popular fan bases, but it makes sense. If you're selling tickets, the Yankees travel well. There's Yankee fans in all 50 states. There's Notre Dame fans in all 50 states. The Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. People, you're a friggin' Cowboys fan, Dylan. Well, now my question is you have a undefeated Alabama. All right. Uh, that are SEC champions. You have an undefeated Oklahoma, Big 12 champions. Let's say you have 11 and 1 Georgia. You have 11 and 1 um, LSU. That's Georgia, LSU, Alabama. I don't know if that's possible. Oklahoma. And uh, Ohio State. And Notre Dame, which are the first two out. So let me get this right. It's 12, it's thirteen and zero Alabama, twelve and zero Oklahoma, eleven and one Georgia, eleven and one LSU. Presumably losing to someone that's not Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, eleven and one Ohio State, and then eleven and one Notre Dame. Replace LSU with Clemson. My mistake. Clemson. Okay, sure. Um. And Clemson has a conference title, right? Yeah, I was gonna say let's just let's just assume that Clemson's also undefeated conference title. All right, so Bama one, Oklahoma two, I'd say Clemson three, and then Notre Dame four. I would agree with that. Uh, you you have to put them in if it's like that. If you know you're saying Georgia's eleven one and they lost in the SEC title game. Yeah. Well, at this point, I think it honestly comes down once again to the conversation which we basically just had: the timing of the loss and and what was uh, pretty much the. Um, you know, the, the point spread of that loss uh, and also the the opponent. Yeah. Well, when the level of Ohio State makes this tough too because they'd be Big Ten champs. Um, mm-hmm. But like, you know what I mean? Maybe they would take Georgia out instead because Ohio State's a big brand as well. Could you imagine that? Bama, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Notre Dame. I mean, those are four of your six biggest programs in history. I would get kicked off of Twitter again if that happened. <laughs> Let's just be real. I'll go to war with whoever I have to for the Irish. Uh, but, yeah. From a business side, why have Georgia in there? Right. Even if they probably deserve to, because 11 and one Georgia probably plays a better schedule. 
you see how they travel though. And I know I have a couple Georgia fans in my uh on my Twitter. Joey. They travel well. They they are probably, you know, up there with the top uh top elite programs. Clemson's moving up there surprisingly thanks to Dabo, but I'll tell you what, there's only one team I've seen who's out-traveled Notre Dame at a neutral site game, and that was Ohio State at the bowl game. Uh, albeit we weren't really excited for it, so our fans probably didn't really care. But Ohio State is a big fan base, right? They're like Texas. Um, I'm hesitant to put Michigan in that category. But, yeah, Georgia's good. We saw how well they traveled. Um, but that'd be a fun scenario. That was a, that was a great one there uh, between, you know, would Notre Dame get in? Because – Theoretically, you know, uh, Ohio State is a Big Ten championship. It's do you value strength, strength of schedule or, you know, conference title? I, I would tend to agree, and we'll definitely have to see uh, about that. And uh, just kind of going off of that to kind of segue into our last topic, we'll definitely do a hypothetical every week. Uh, and I'm not going to think of them, so you two have fun doing that, and I'll answer them. Uh, going into Ball State. Real quick, we're 34.5-point favorites as of this recording. Uh, Notre Dame has no changes to their roster. Ball State's making $1.1 million to travel to South Bend for this game. And, uh, yeah, just one real quick prediction, if you're worried about anything and all that. Um, I'm worried about the usual of falling into kind of a sluggish game with a, a team well below you. Um, but other than that, that's a really mild concern. I don't know what prediction to give. I'm looking at that line, 34 and a half. That's a lot. Um, you think Notre Dame could cover it, but we really haven't seen how great that offense could be yet, especially against a bad defense. I, I have no concerns really for the game. I mean, we're better in every, in every facet. Um, we should win. We should win big. Um, if I were to make a prediction, I'd say 42-10. So that's 32, not covering. Steve? Um, I think this is the first time that I will ever see Notre Dame play, uh, uh, score 63 points. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling nine touchdowns on the day. Um, my only concern, honestly, is just staying healthy. That, and I want to see uh, at some point Phil Jerkovic get some snaps at QB. You know, burn one of the one of the four games that he's allotted to keep his uh, red shirt. I I would tend to agree with that. Jumped uh, ahead forty nine thirteen. Just cautiously optimistic. Uh, again, that's kind of my motto for this whole season. And uh, the one thing I was watching tape on Ball State, Riley Neal. Uh, he com- I really had comparisons to Tony Pike when Kelly coached him at Cincy. Uh, he's a good quarterback. He could start for any of the Power Five. Uh, conferences, any team in the Power Five, and he can throw the hell out of the ball. Uh, so hopefully Gilman will come up and put his helmet through his chest, uh, which is my, you know, my closing comment on that. He can't be any worse than Shea Patterson. No. <laughs> I think he's better than Shea Patterson, to be completely honest with you. Uh, so that's all my comments. You know, I think for the uh, for the podcast. I'm ready to go. It's Ball State. Muncie, Indiana has not produced anything of note. And uh, Dylan, anything last words? Um, no. I mean, I, last night I told you not to get too ahead of yourself saying 12-0. and 0, And then I watched the Icon video that the university released, and we're going 12-0. and 0. 
you know, screw it. That's where Notre Dame fans. Um, unbelievable performance against Michigan. I mean, there's not a team I hate more. I think you guys are a little different on that. Um, but beating Michigan, my childhood terror, um, was awesome. Uh, Ball State's not going to know what to do with us. You know, it's it, it's all Irish, baby. We're going to have a good year this year. Um, we could run the table. We could make the playoff. Um, we'll, we'll see how it goes. So I'm kind of looking forward to watching the Ball State game and getting getting in contact with you boys again after I do the next podcast. Um, and I can't wait, you know. I, university starting for me Thursday, but nope, it's all about Notre Dame. That's the only thing on my mind. So go Irish. Go Irish. Uh, I know we went a little bit long, but that's what happens when we love something. Uh, we tend to talk. So with that, uh, this has been episode two. Uh, go Irish, be Cardinals.